Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. My name is Jason, and with me today is Bebe. Hey, Jason. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Very good. Good. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. So, what do we have today? The Fed raised the interest rate again, tentatively, and I'm not an expert, so I want to say that right at the beginning, but tentatively, additional rate increases may still happen later this year to rein in inflation. We take a look at some of the advice being given in the financial world to deal with the current climate. Why doesn't China suffer from inflation? And can foreigners invest in Chinese stocks? What do you think, baby? Wow, so we're being serious today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah? All right. So interest rate. I think this is uh, what the 10th interest rate hike mm, in the past. I've certainly seen a lot of them. Yes. And um, of course, the main reason we hear is that it's to fight inflation, which is at 40 year high. Because I, I think in the past few decades, uh, for people who have been you know, living in the US, like inflation ha- was not a thing you thought about. Mm, mm. You know, prices were pretty stable for like, what, decades? Yeah. And all of a sudden, inflation is uh, as high as what's the percentage now i'm not too sure i think it's 3.1 but it's come down from like nine percent over the last few months yeah it's even worse in europe yeah now um before we move on to uh the impact of the interest rate hikes now we're not experts but this is you know we've gathered some information to share with each other and also with our listeners mm-hmm. but first the interesting question is why do we have the inflation in the first place right why do we have inflation baby yeah why let's pull back a little bit well um here are some shocking numbers that i want to share with you mm-hmm. uh, in an article, in many articles actually, uh, that came out at the beginning of 2022. Mm-hmm. So that's already over a year ago. As fresh as that number seems, 2022 was over a year ago. It says in this article by the WashingtonStandards.com that 80% of all US dollars in existence have been printed in just the past two years. And that's the two years from 2020 to 2022. I read an, a similar fact yesterday mm. that said that in the last three years, more Japanese and U.S. currency has been printed in the last in these last three years than in the 10 years preceding that. So that is hard to believe. Yeah, that's why I think Japan probably has more national debt than the U.S. We know that the U.S. is like famous mm. for how much national debt it has. I mean, it's scary to think about the number. 31.5 trillion. Trillion. And that's not enough because we're hitting the ceiling. But think about this, Jason. Isn't this scary? It is. Uh, The US dollar was first printed. It has been in existence since 1914. It it did not start with the founding of the country, but, you know, a bit later. 1914. So it's over 100 years old by now. So in the previous, like, 100 years and more, they only printed about 20% about what we have now. Can you imagine the flooding of the US dollar in the whole, like, global economy? That's one of the main reasons why we have. I wanted to mention a deeper context because you mentioned 1914. And I think there are a lot of people in the United States who are upset that the Fed even exists. And I actually don't have an opinion on this. It's way beyond my level of economic understanding to weigh in on it. But previously, there was something called Hamiltonian banking, where each individual bank, regional bank, would print its own money. And people would choose which bank's money to 
use in the United States. And so there was a plethora of different currencies all throughout the United States. And it was a relatively money itself was a privatized asset. And the Fed was created essentially to get rid of the Hamiltonian banking and create a single national dollar. Yeah, we'll get back to the Fed a little bit. It's an interesting point to touch to. Coming back to why we have inflation. So you've heard of quantitative easing, right? Yes. Basically, it's just printing loads of money, just flooding the market with money, which has that's what has been happening, especially in the past three years now, not just two years. And then the other reason that a lot of people probably are not aware of uh, what's responsible for inflation that people are experiencing in the U.S. is the decoupling from China. It's the trade, we call it quote unquote trade wars uh, initiated by the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. Because you know how like in the past few decades, ever since China joined the WTO, a lot of uh, most Americans have been able to enjoy, you know, cheaply made products with decent quality from imported from China. Which shouldn't happen. But with the trade war, what happens is, well, uh, things become more expensive, right? If you have to import from China, like the same thing, but with tax add on top of it. Um, and the point, of course, by the U.S. government is so that uh, the U.S. import less from China. It wants China to suffer, right? But the other side of the coin is that U.S. consumers have been suffering from higher prices because you'll have to search for the same, like if you want to get a soccer ball, they were mostly manufactured um, in China before the trade war. And now you have to find substitutes, right, of equal quality, but most likely higher prices. So I think for me personally, from my understanding, quantitative easing, which means printing a lot of money and decoupling from China, that both contributed to higher inflation. And of course, that leads us to why we have interest rate hikes. But like, according to the Fed, they're doing this just to fight inflation. But it's actually more, quote unquote, interesting than that. Do you remember the show we had about de-dollarization? Mm -hmm. um, in that, we mentioned how there is a pattern to the way uh, the Fed in the U.S. decrease and increase its interest rate. So when interest rate, there was a time when interest rate was so low that it was literally like close to zero, which means you can borrow money like freely. But then, you know, um, other people, it's uh, it's easier for people to take out loans and to take to uh, for investments. So a lot of money went out of the U.S. too into other emerging markets. This is just recap what we saying, said the other show. And then the business will boom. Um, but in about a few years, maybe 10 years, the U.S. will start hiking its interest rates. And the point is to attract money back from these other markets back to the U.S. And this is what the U.S. has been doing this time too, so that more capital, more money will be pulled back because, hey, we have higher interest rates. Why don't you, you know, if you have like a million dollars, come to us, put it in our banks and you will get higher interest rates. And then all these uh, dollars will be flushing back. And then these other companies or banks, all of a sudden, what they're experiencing is that it's like their blood has been sucked out all of a sudden, right? If interest rate in the US uh, suddenly goes up and then a lot of these business would start suffering and a lot of them might even go bankrupt. And then after a few years, the US will go back to buy these properties or banks or other, you know, mines or natural resources, commodities at much, much cheaper prices. So that's another reason why we have these interest rate hikes. And uh, another one I can think of, the reason for interest rate hikes is to erase debt or to uh, lessen one's debt. So um, let's say if I owe you $100, right, Jason, and, um, and then I'm supposed to pay you back $100. But what happens if a year later, because of inflation, I'm still giving you back $100, but it's actually worth less than what it was from a year ago. You get 
get that right. Yeah, this is a very common topic in social media. So if let's say the country, one country owns another, um, the U.S. has lots of national debt, as we know, and multiply that by couple, I don't know, million times, that makes a huge difference. And like raising, uh, this is one of the, I mean, one of the major ways of erasing debt, the debt bubble is uh, higher inflation. And the other is even worse, you know, which is war. And when war comes, um, a lot of wealth, both for the rich and poor, get wiped out. And sort of people can start the whole cycle again from a more equal ground. So these are just, uh, you know, some background I thought of when I saw this topic. I just want to share it with you guys. You're listening to The Bridge. Even if the other exploitative mechanisms were not in place, U.S. inflation due to money printing would be enough to cause the interest rates to be raised due to the fact that interest rate inflation is negatively impacting the U.S. domestic economy so dramatically. Like you mentioned, four-decade high, that was six months ago, there was a four-decade high for inflation. It has come down. And what's really interesting to me is even though it's come down to 3 to 5%, depending on the product we're talking about, it's still higher than ideal. It should be between one and a half and two and a half or three percent. So that is why there may tentatively still be one more rate hike. But one thing that's happened this time around is the speed of the rate hikes. So it's like the Fed let the problem go for a long time. And then they're really taking dramatic action in an extremely short period of time. I was looking at some details from uh, Visual Capitalist and Statista, and this is the shortest period of time over which this many Fed increases and rate hikes have happened. So this is the most dramatic action to rein in or to deal with all of these various economic realities that the Fed has taken ever. I'm not an economist, but it seems to me that taking such dramatic action in such a short period of time in an unprecedented way may yet unleash potentialities that they had not anticipated. New economic realities that no one could see coming. And there are already a lot of economists like Goldman Goldman Sachs, who claim that there will very likely be a recession in the United States and Europe by either H2 of this year or H1 of next year. So it seems like perhaps they are reacting too intensely. Uh, that's just my opinion as someone who's just reading the news. Um, here, I want to recommend to you and our listeners a book that I read earlier this year. Um, it just came out in 2022, pretty new. It's called The Lords of Easy Money. And the subtitle is How the Federal Reserve broke the American economy. And we all know that it's the Fed, right, that comes out once in a while, tell us whether or not they're going to raise or lower the interest rate. You know, how many people have thought about what is the Fed? Who owns the Fed? Why is the Fed doing these things? And the interesting thing about the Fed, which is basically the central bank of the U.S., its ownership is still a matter of debate. Now, who is in control of the Fed? You know, who is on top of the Fed? It's hard to say. I mean, some sort claim that Fed is a private entity owned by its uh, member banks, which are private or public banks, or by wealthy individuals uh, and large corporations. Now, the reason why this is interesting is because we want to understand why it's making its moves. In whose interest is it making its moves? That's a very crucial question. Is it making its moves in the interest of the public, meaning most people? Or is it making taking actions in 
in the interest of the bank's private owners? Well, I don't have answers now, but things are not looking good for the masses, for the people. Well, I know that some of the leadership are appointed directly by the incumbent White House. So whether it's a private or public institution, there is some oversight at the executive level in the United States. They definitely influence each other, but there has been a question around, which is, is the Fed increasingly running the country? Now, this is not something people think about at breakfast or, you know, talk about dinner. I think actually a lot of Americans do think about the Fed, but I think that might be hyperbole a little bit because clearly the Fed is maybe influencing the economy. And so it has a direct effect on things like the Pentagon or it has an effect on, you know, different things. But clearly there are also other. I think the United States is not one institution. I don't think it's run by the executive branch or the legislative branch or the Fed or the Pentagon or all of these other, you know, three-lettered organizations. I think the reality of the United States is it's run by thousands of different vested interests, all with very limited amounts of power trying to fight. I think that's actually a problem. I don't point this out to say, oh, no, the Fed is not the Illuminati or some other conspiracy theory. I point this out because it seems like there's no one really in charge. See, in China, for example, you do have a very clear executive leadership. And if something needs to be done, it gets handled. And in whereas in the United States, no one's really sure who's, you know, in charge because no one really is in charge. Like the executive branch is limited amounts of power and the Pentagon has limited amounts of power and the Congress has limited amounts of power, not because of separations of powers, not because of a philosophy from 300 years ago, but because the United States has a disparate broken glass mirror kind of approach to the way that it does things. And no one is able to do any. That's why you can't have high-speed rail in the United States. You want a high-speed rail? You have thousands of vested interests that suddenly you have to deal with this county and this landowner and that farmer and this executive and these local stakeholders and this company. Then it becomes an impossible task just building a railroad. It's very frustrating as an American to see that nothing gets done because there's no one at, at the helm. East perspective, it would be, I would feel insecure if like we don't even know who's in charge of like our central bank because actions by the central bank will literally influence everybody, rich and poor. Now in China, the central bank, it's sort of, I guess, I mean, not 100%, right? Managed. They have a strong, well, they have a strong relationship with the state council and it's like on the same level as the treasury as we know it in the US. Well, in the US, as you just mentioned, the Fed is almost like the fourth part of who is in control. And besides the legislative, the judicial and the executive branch, there's like the Fed. It's very, it's a little odd, you know, like who owns the Fed? Who is in charge? It's hard to say. Honestly, I think about that in the terms of the Department of Homeland Security. You have all of these organizations like the FBI and the CIA and the NSA, and some of them are pseudo private organizations. The CIA, I'm not going to go too much into it. The CIA is technically a private organization. It's really bizarre also. Isn't it? It is. You think it's bizarre too? Because I think it's bizarre, but I'm a Chinese person. And I'm not used to uh, important organizations being totally private. Like if our central bank was completely private, I would probably freak out (laughs) because it means that it's not it will not be working in the interest of the public. If it's privately owned, you know, they have their interest uh, to think of at the top of their list. So now if we can have the time to elevate this a little bit further. So when a Chinese person, uh, me, for example, I'm one of the Chinese person, when we think of our Chinese 
Chinese central government. We know that it's working for the people. And this is no slogan, okay? Like, I'm not saying something uh, that we see on the wall. Ah, this is for the people. It is actually for the people. But I don't know about how the Chinese banking system works and where money comes from in China. Could you tell us a little bit about that? I don't know the details. This is not something, you know, I study. But it has my, our vague understanding is that it has a very strong relationship with the Chinese central government. And its function is for the whole country to make improvements, right? But then, you know, when you compare it to these institutions work in the U.S., it has much more of a private tilt. In China? In the U.S. But in oh. China, it's much more public tilt, if I can put it this way. Like a governmental... Well, what does government mean? For the Chinese people, like for me, I'm just speaking for myself, but I can represent the feelings of a lot of uh, average Chinese people. When it comes to the central government, we know that its policies and what it's trying to do is for the country and for the people of the country. And this for us is not a slogan that people, you know, sing about. If you look at the actions of the central government, it's very responsible. It plows the money back into building the country, into improving people's lives. And that's our understanding of what a government is supposed to do, right? I mean, I'm assuming that a lot of people who are pro-American system people, if they were listening to you say that, they would argue, isn't that what the Fed is doing? Well, isn't that the question we've been trying to discuss? Because I don't have an answer to this. And I'm trying to find out because the things it's been doing, like if you read the book, The Lords of Easy Money and other books related to uh, Fed's actions, you have question marks. A lot of times you don't know what it's, why it's doing things. And for example, the quantitative easing, does it, you, do you have to print that much money? Because by printing so much money, like these money, they go into the banks and millions, trillions of dollars. They're not just sitting in the banks, right? The banks will think of ways to invest this money so that they can make a profit. And there are only so many quality investments to be made. So to a point, the banks were like, okay, anything will do, you know, even like crappy loans, anything with a faint possibility of making a profit will become engaged in that project. And that's why they have so much uh, bad loans in the end. That's why it led to um, the financial crash. I mean, I agree with you firstly. I think that the way that the United States is always printing money, there are a couple things we haven't covered. So when they were printing those trillions of dollars to send like basically checks to Americans, there were a couple different things happening. Number one is Americans were clamoring for help. And even though this was not the best way to help, it was a quick win for politicians to insist that the Fed print a lot of money so that the Congress could pass this money out. You're listening to The Bridge. What I wanted to point out that I think is important is because so many economies around the world are dependent on the U.S. dollar. This goes back to our de-dollarization conversation that when these Americans were receiving these checks for, I don't know, $1,200 in some case, $2,000 in other cases, and if they had lots of children, way more than that, this money was essentially devaluing the dollars that were in banks in South Africa, Zambia, Egypt. So essentially, these other developing countries were paying for those Americans to get those checks. And also speaking of devaluation, see years ago when I was just, you know, a regular consumer, when there is an inflation or like say your house, the value of your house went up, you're pretty happy, right? It's like, yay, you know, my house is worth more now. If I was an investor, yeah. But if I was a homeowner, honestly, why care? Like, I just want to live in it. <laughs> but a lot of people have houses for investments, right? Yeah, that's one thing I think is a problematic part of American civilization. But 
But what people、uh, sometimes didn't look at is how, at the same time, the money you do have is losing value because that's I was blinded to this. You know, when people say, "Oh, my house or、uh, other stuff price went up, the asset price went up," but at the same time, it means that money you have can buy less stuff. And which actually, we can start talking about the impact of these interest rate hikes on the country and also on consumers and on the rest of the world,、uh, which you just mentioned. And I think one of the impacts we have is that I think it will make the rich even richer and make the poor even poor. Because let's say you are the rich one, you have like ten houses, right? And you have like I'm retiring. The show's over. Bye, guys.、Yeah. <laughs> and besides that, you have like ten million dollars sitting in the bank, right? And for you to invest. Now, for you, because prices have gone up, your houses are each of your houses, Jason, is worth so much more now, right? And because you have extra money that's just sitting in the bank, like three years ago, you didn't get much interest rate. Like interest rate was close to zero. Let's say you don't want to do any investment. You just want to, you know, not worry about investment. Just put it in the bank. So three years ago, you couldn't really get any interest rate. But now with your ten million dollars, they can just sit in the bank, and you can just live on those interest rates. And all these good things come because you have these assets, you know, both in cash and in houses. But me, on the other hand, Jason, I let's say I have no property, no house, I have no savings. What am I facing now? Well, more than half of Americans don't have one thousand dollars and could not handle any kind of emergency that happened whatsoever. So yeah, the average American has nothing. So me, okay, I have nothing. <laughs> But now everything is more expensive, Jason. Well, even when I go shopping for food, right? Prices of even eggs went up. Like in the past, if you go to the、uh, supermarket to buy eggs, you don't really think about its price because it's pretty cheap, right? Unless you're buying some fancy organic ones. The normal ones, what like a dollar or two a dozen, but back in the days, ostrich eggs. Oh yeah, or, or other golden eggs. <laughs> but now when I go to the supermarket, you know, I'm paying so much more just to stay alive. And then if I think that okay, I'm gonna work hard and save up to buy a house, but then When I find a house and I finally save, like, beg my parents to support me, <laughs> and you know, have down payments, and I go to the bank to get a loan, you know, for mortgage, I find out that rates are so much higher now, right? If I bought my house, like, my mom would say, "Hey, if you saved enough and you know thought about buying a house four years ago, you wouldn't have to pay so much for interest rate." But now, look at the interest rates, and also if I need emergency cash to buy things or other medical care, and I get it on my credit card. Do you know the interest rate for that nowadays? It's something like over like twenty percent. That's why I actually wanted to do this show in the first place is to give some basic tips to people because as the interest rates are going up, you're you're pointing out very correctly that the lower and middle classes of America, which are more than half of all people, are essentially dealing with things like that. And so we have some context here for dealing with this larger systematic problem, which I think is probably very useful for the listener rather than who is. Secretly running the Fed, but it's some background question that we should be aware of. But because if one day you want to make changes to policy or even structure of other things, right? But anyhow, so let me wrap up. Do you know what a constitutional convention is? It would require a two-thirds majority in both the House and the Senate to change the Constitution to adjust the how the way the Fed works. Given our contemporary climate, where everything seems split now at fifty-fifty, I don't think any real meaningful democratic change is. Going to happen anytime in the near future. If the system continues to operate as as it is, we can't change it as Americans. Let me just wrap up about the impact of the interest rate hikes on 
on, let's say, us consumers. Basically, the impact on us will depend on whether or not we were rich or poor, you know, prior to all this hiking, right? As you mentioned, if like Jason, you have like 10 houses and a couple billion million dollars, you'll be fine. You'll make even more money. But if you had nothing and you want to buy a house or you want to buy a car, things will be more difficult. And also for people who have a lot of debt, let's say if you're a company and you had a lot of debt that you need to pay off, it's actually a good thing for you that money now values less because it means you will be paying back less in debt. But if you're getting new debt, that's a problem. I was going to say I'm going to get a bunch of debt, but I guess I'm not going to. Thank you, baby, for saving me. So um, really quickly from the Fed meeting, they said that things are probably going to stabilize and there is a chance they won't raise the interest rate again. But it's still possible that one, if not more two, unprecedented Fed right, Fed hikes will be coming. But what is important is what Bebe has been alluding to, how to save and how to protect yourself. So one article that came out uh, May 3rd, 2023 is where to get the best returns on your savings when rates are high. So this is just really basic advice. Oh, yeah. I wanted to ask you if you have more than that thousand dollars that we were talking about before and that you are yeah. able to make some kind of investment and you are able to protect yourself, what can you do to get the maximum amount of interest rate now while this opportunity exists? But I wanted to ask Bebe a question. Did you know that Apple now has its own banking? I was so surprised that you could invest in an Apple style bank and get 4% interest on saving with Apple because it reminded me being a little kid because I had a Bank of America bank account in 1985 when I was, I don't know, a little boy, you know, less than 10 years old. And I was getting about 5.25% interest wow, on having. That's high. Yeah, it was pretty. And now you get zero. So if you have below like two or $3,000 at most banks in the United States, they give you zero and they only reward four and 5% interest rates for people who have over three or five or $10,000. So the fact that you can just throw out money into APY and keep it in uh, Apple and get 4.15% return is actually kind of a return to 1980 style banking. We had the same experience a couple years ago when Alipay and like even with WeChat payment when they just came out. I remember this because around those time, everyone was so excited. Like my coworkers, they moved like one coworker basically moved his whole savings account to Alipay. Yeah, because it was live. It was like every day you could see how much money you were making just by putting extra money there even if you just like had an extra rmb like extra five into Alipay. yeah but then i know it was <laughs> it was higher than that it was like really good like something like five six percent it was crazy and um yeah. but then after a few years after it gained a certain momentum and everybody was using alipay i mean this the bonus kind of petered off um but it's quite surprising that apple is doing that now because as you know bank Banks in the U.S. are suffering big time, like the smaller, medium, smaller banks. And this leads to another interesting thing is, um, you know, that just recently another bank kind of uh, collapsed. Uh, I think it was what First Republic. Do you remember that happening? And my wife was telling me about it. She was like, oh, we're making like 2% interest. And I was like, wow, that's, that is interesting. Yeah. So when that happened, I mean, it's a terrible thing for people who work at the bank and for people who have invested in the bank. But later on, we learned that JP Morgan bought it and it bought it pretty much for like nothing. And it gained millions of customers, well, probably more than that. Um, and its debt of the bank was wiped off, right? So if you've loaned the money to the bank, you are sorry, we apologize. 
realize, but you're not getting your money back. So think of the winner in this deal. And because if you see in actual actions who is winning, who is losing, you get an idea of why the Fed or other government agency is doing what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I read a lot of articles about it. Sure. Okay, fine. But it's a question that can hang in the air. <laughs> you know, I'm, I agree with you. It's interesting to understand how government and the Fed work. Uh, but I think for a lot of people, and most people have a vague idea already, and most people are mostly concerned with what do I do now? Where do I put my million dollars? <laughs> Shall I put it in the bank or give it to Apple? <laughs> well, I mean, I, there are some Americans who have some right. amount of money. And so if you don't want to invest it in Apple, if you want to make more money, one thing you can do is buy a CD. Mm. Now, you can buy CDs in China, too, actually. You just walk into the bank and you say, I have such and such amount of money. It doesn't have mm -hmm. to be a lot. It can be any amount. You can say, I have $5,000. Walk into Bank of America or Wells mm -hmm. Fargo or in China, ICPC or Bank of China or all of these. And you say, I'd like to buy a CD. They will present you with an overwhelming list of options. And so it, most of them are a year to five years. Some of them can be 20 and 30 years. Usually, the most stable ones have the least amount of interest and the least stable ones have the most amount of interest. The shortest period of time has the lowest amount of interest and the longest period of time has the most amount of interest. So if you are a stable, smart, I'm firstly, I am not a professional investor, but if you are a smart investor, you will go for a 10 or a 20 year CD. And that means... Or a risk adverse investor because mm. yeah. it, it's stable, mm. right? It feels safe. You're right. You could go with the stock market, which is like a casino and you may get seven or 8%. So you may make actually less money by investing in a CD. But what you do know with the CD is no matter what happens, especially in the United States, I'm not sure in China, there are FDIC insured certificates. You will get the amount of interest they're claiming you will get. If you go with a huge bank, like a, you know, like a Wells Fargo or a Bank of America, the probability of their collapsing is lower. If you go with a very local small town bank, like Bank of, I don't know, Modesto or something, your risk is higher. But also it's FDIC insured. If you are investing more than $90,000, you may not be insured over that $90,000. But if you're a normal you know, person and you're just investing 80,000 here or 80,000 there or 5,000 or whatever you have, you are gonna get that 5% over that five years and it compounds. So each year you're going to be making more than the year before. Right. So to give our listeners a better idea, let's say if you invest $10,000 in a six month CD, right, with let's say a 5% interest rate, you'll get your principal back, which means you'll get your $10,000 back plus about 250 in interest when your CD matures. And a one year CD, you will earn 500 in interest. So if you just let the $10,000 sit in the bank for you mean 2500 as opposed to 250 Because you said $10,000 investment after five years gets you 250 No, no, no. After six months. Oh, okay. If you invest $10,000 in a six-month CD, so you put it in the bank, six months later, you come back and you get your $10,000 plus about two fifty dollars in interest rate. So it's like 250 of free money, right? And, and if you put in the same $10,000 and leave it in the bank in a CD for a year at 5%, you'll get $500 in interest, um, which sounds, I guess, pretty decent. You didn't even do anything, right? And the longer 
you put it in there, let's say if it's an 18 months term, you get it back a year and a half later, you will bring back about 760 more dollars in interest. So I want to break that down because I think you skipped an important step is that extra $10 is compounded interest. That is like really critical to the long term 10 and 20 years. So you don't just keep getting 5% added each year from your principal. You get 5% of the total amount, your original 10,000 plus 500 more. So every year you make more extra money than the year before. And so it after 10 or 20 or 30 years, that's how it works. You make a ton of money because your principal is actually increasing. Now, can I ask like what happened to that bank account that you had when back in 1985? Do you still have it? I still feel angry about this. I was 14 what? or 15 years old and my mom and dad came to me and said, your brother needs a car. Oh, <laughs> so oh. I want to <laughs> pivot though. And I want to talk about something that I think because is a- otherwise is a... you're going to break down and just like cry. <laughs> <laughs> my mom made it up to me. Oh, I forget how, good, good. but like years and years later, they bought me a whole bunch of other things. Can you imagine if you still had that? Oh my God. I, I wouldn't be on the show. <laughs> listening to The Bridge. Number three, treasury bills. And I want to caveat this. If the dollar takes a nosedive, which hasn't happened in our lifetime, but if it does, treasury bills aren't going to be worth what you think they might because be Because people won't be willing to buy as much. Like now people are trying to sell them. <laughs> in fact, yeah, some major governments, including Japan and China and other countries have actually been selling treasury bills off. So it can be dangerous. I think the one that people automatically think of in America, and this is not as much in China, I read, not as many Chinese people invest in stocks is Americans love to invest in stocks. But as Bebe will tell you, even professional stock investors don't always know what's going to happen and it can be extremely dangerous. It's, yeah. Uh, actually, it's some risk research reward. have shown that it's random. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you look back at performances of stocks, but you know, that's beyond me. Um, for people who are, you know, looking for safer investments, you know, treasury bonds, bills. Yeah, these are gold. Yeah. yeah CDs, bank accounts, treasuries. Yeah. I want to move on to the one that's probably going to help the most amount of people. And that is what to do with your credit card debt now that the Fed raised rates again. Because I think most Americans are in the lower 60% or so who don't have any kind of money to invest. And most Americans have have credit card debt. Most Americans or 55 million Americans have student loans, which are accumulating about 6.1 to 6.9% interest, which is horrible. I know Wait, it's as bad as you really? think it is. I thought, yeah, oh yeah, really. I thought rates for student loans would be much lower. No, they're not. Oh. Even if you're a like a uh, grant receiving student, student loans are extremely, they're horrible. They're hor the worst kind of debt you can have almost. This is one huge difference between um, like Chinese culture and American culture. Like for the years that I stayed in the US, people are so used to having credit cards, right? Using credit cards. People are comfortable with having debt. Chinese people are not comfortable. They tell you in America, you have to have debt. If you don't have debt, people are like, oh my gosh, you don't have debt. You better get some debt because <laughs> right. you won't have a good credit rating without debt. And they tell you how much debt you should have. And you're supposed to manage having debt. Even if you don't need to have debt, you have to make debt so that you can have debt. It's crazy. So when you live in that kind of environment, you become comfortable owning debt, right? But for Chinese people, like if I have lots of debt besides my mortgage, like if I have like $10,000 in debt, like it will be in, on my mind every single day. And that's not comfortable. <laughs> 
<laughs> I will want to like get rid of it. And besides for, I guess for most of us, like what's the point of having debt? Like, do I really need that thing that I'm willing to borrow money to buy? I know, I have, it's crazy. I have enough to eat, right? Uh, I, I can pay for my child's education. I have a place to live. So why do I need debt? Because I mean, this is a Chinese person's um, mentality and I can re represent a huge percentage of Chinese people. The younger the generation- The statistics agree with you. Yeah, 40% yeah. of Chinese are very high savers. Yeah, like I don't have savings. I have to be honest, okay? But I don't have debt and I'm not interested in it. Like debt is just not part of my life. Hey baby, <laughs> and, you don't have debt. You better get some. Well, That's the American way. No, no. <laughs> All right, I want to read some data to you, though. Sure. So as of April 26th of this year, uh, according to bankrate.com, I couldn't even believe this when I read this. Mm. The average credit card rate is 20.23%. That sounds very high. 20% interest. I want to cry for America. This is awful. <laughs> so we're saying the average, this is average. So we're saying there are people out there with 30% on their credit cards. How do they get out? I mean, there are a couple of things you can do. Number one is bankruptcy and you can get your credit card debt erased and don't let people tell you that this is a terrible thing you're doing if you want i recommend that people just go out and get rid of that if you're paying 30 percent interest there's a reason for the bankruptcy that's why bankruptcy court is there but then it will be harder for you to borrow in the future you have to be ready for that but not right? exactly in the short term you get a thousand credit cards thrown at you the reason is if you declare bankruptcy within the first six months you'll get 20 credit cards asking for you to like there's just so many and the reason is you can't can't declare bankruptcy for seven years. So if they know that you have just successfully left bankruptcy court, credit cards track you down and be like, please take it because you are stuck with it and you can't get out of it. But for most people, that's not an option or they don't have that mentality. They're unable to do it and all these, they're afraid of credit card. It's very complicated. But a lot of people, what you can do is keep shopping for credit cards that have 0% interest for one or two years. And this is not a good long-term solution. But as long as the interest rate is high, which it doesn't stay high for more than usually five or 10 years, but you can shop around for 0% and transfer the debt of your credit cards over and over a few times, as long as there's not a punishment going along with it. And you can just manage your debt while you wait for interest rates to come back down. And that is an option that CNN, Jian uh, rec Sahidi recommends as one of the things you can do. Now, a lot of people say don't do bankruptcy. You know, it's actually illegal for people to make recommendations without qualifying that they're not a qualified professional. That's why I keep saying this, but I would recommend it. I think that it is worthwhile. I know people who have declared bankruptcy and they- And they're still alive. Yeah, every, they, everything worked out for them. They went in, they they were like, oh gosh, I have 10,000 credit card debt and I make like $25,000 a year. I can't pay this. It's not possible. I will just be in debt forever until I die. So they declared bankruptcy and then they were like, I'm not using credit cards. So it doesn't matter if my credit card <laughs> credit is ruined. You know, 10 years later, people don't even really know that they declared bankruptcy 10 years ago because their record has been expunged. It's been so long. So so will I be able to see you again, Jason, after you settle this? <laughs> You'll be okay, right? I'm not declaring bankruptcy. 
Okay, but you make your recommendations. I don't have any no. credit card debt. I live in China. <laughs> I save I money. Have, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't even have a credit card. I'm not interested. Yeah, my and wife I'm has tried to like, get me a credit card. She's like, Jason, you should have a credit card. I'm like, uh, uh-uh, uh, <laughs> oh, no. no, don't get me ain't, started. Ain't, ain't, no. <laughs> See, the debt is one of those words that I'm gonna rip out of my daughter's dictionary. Okay, <laughs> there are a couple words that just don't exist. Mommy, what's okay? a credit card? <laughs> oh, who told you? It's an imaginary yeah. thing. It's not real. Like debt and drugs and like gun violence. These will not be my daughter's dictionary until she's like much older. Oh, it, mommy, what if I want to buy something and I don't have money? What if I want to buy a gun? And oh gosh! Buy other oh, stuff. No. I'm like, oh no! What have you been watching? Oh, no, gosh. these will not be in the environment where my daughter lives in. She just won't become influenced by these. So anyhow, mm. good tips, Jason. Okay, especially the one about transferring your debt to a zero percent. There are so many credit card companies that are competing with each other. And so it is possible to transfer your debt. And if you're way in debt and it's out of control, I recommend that you seek help from a professional. Some of them will recommend that you do declare bankruptcy. And if you're in a position to pay it off somehow, maybe a professional finance uh, expert can help you find a way to pay it down. But usually if you have, this is the basic key. And this, I think Bebe will agree. If you have three or four different kinds of debt, look at, spread them out in front of you. So you're looking at them clearly, whichever one has the highest interest rate. Generally, the rule is pay that one first. It's a sad scene. I don't want to visualize that. <laughs> <laughs> this is the American way, baby. And also, like in Chinese families, if I somehow got into debt, like my parents will be at the door like five minutes <laughs> after they heard this. And my mom will be like, what happened? We'll have a shoecase <laughs> full of cash and say, <laughs> oh gosh, can I meet your mom? <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. She got shoeboxes full of cash. Oh my gosh. I want to be in your family. <laughs> I'm serious. This is the case for a lot of Chinese parents. You know, they will be scolding you and telling you, how did you get into all this? But they will help you, right? And they will help and make sure that you're back on your feet and you're never to do this again. <laughs> so they can't let you sink in deeper and deeper. And also, you know, I heard um, in Korean culture, uh, one of my coworkers back in New York, she was uh, Korean and they have these like kind of like a little banking thing between families. So each, like say a group of family, right? Close family or relatives, every year, each family will put in, let's say $10,000 or maybe a few thousand dollars into account, like all together. And so they will have like a pot of cash ready for any kind of emergencies or special events that any one of the families uh, might encounter. So that year, step one, buy a pot, yeah, buy a pot and have <laughs> friends, okay? Have friends have and relatives. Friends. So that year she got married. So that year she was able to take that cash out to help pay for her wedding. Of course, a year follow that she will be, you know, paying back uh, into that pot and all the other families will keep paying. They do this every year. They put in money every year just so that they have an emergency fund for, you know, any one of these families. That could be something, right? Doesn't involve any credit cards or, or banks. Like nobody else is going to take a chunk of this money from you. Saving for a rainy day is far better than borrowing on a rainy day. And control like your spending if you're in debt and don't go out for meals. I actually, I mean, I agree, but I don't think that that's going to, that advice of having a pot full of cash and sharing it is going to work for most Americans. The reality, unfortunately, baby, is most Americans are already in debt. And so for them, it's about managing the debt they have as opposed to creating special rainy day savings account. I know that sounds bad, but I read a lot of advice. You some, have mm, lots of Chinese aunties shaking their heads. I know, but I want to talk to these people in America. And I think the reality of telling them to save is sometimes frustrating because I was in that same mentality 
mentality or whatever 15 years ago where I had nothing and I had some debt and I was uh, I would read advice that said oh if you have thousand dollars invested here and I think oh this isn't for me all right here oh just save money for a rainy day and I look at my credit card bill and I think this isn't for me and so what I'm I, still in the hole yeah I'm still in the <laughs> hole so one thing you can do is manage your credit cards another thing and this is for a lot of Americans still do own homes at least if they're over 30 or 35 they own homes so I want to give a little bit of advice from this article by CNN and then a different article uh, Wednesday May 3rd 2023 your mortgage and home loans what to do now and it goes and has a long bunch of stuff but there's two basic things to do number one don't go buy a home right now <laughs> so if you don't have a home don't go buy one wait if you go into a bank and this ask for a loan I mean unless yeah. you're paying cash yeah buy whatever you want but if you're borrowing money from the bank and that's the reality for 99% of Americans don't wait until the interest rate comes down keep your savings that you have for your deposit invest that in something stable wait five years and then you can buy it with a lower interest rate and number two you already own a loan you have a loan so it says if you were already a home loaner with a variable rate home equity line of credit go and see if you can fix that right now lock it at a decent rate yeah lock it in now because if they raise it again if the interest rate goes up one or two more times which is possible your interest rate is probably going to go up even though the fed is not directly tied to your banking's you know uh calculus it will factor in somewhere and you may end up paying more if you have variable rate home equity lock it and don't have a variable home rate unless you already have a low locked end rate so these are the only things you can do don't buy a home and if you own a home lock your interest rates so it doesn't go up more and again right this is not the time for uh, people without a lot of savings yeah, yeah, to buy new exactly, cars to exactly. buy new boats boats things you're like in the that. market for boats so. i don't think this is the show <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're listening to The Bridge. We can also talk about how to invest in, let's yeah. say, the Shanghai Actually, Stock that's one of the things I wanted to talk about today. I get this question, baby, every single day because I post like financial news on my Twitter. And people say, I say, oh, it's a great time to invest in China. People are like, but how do I invest in China? Is it even possible? Yes, it is possible. You should have like some kind of a Jason agency to help people invest in Chinese stock market. You know what? I don't want to ever be responsible for other people's finances. You just charge Because fees. if something goes wrong and someone else's finances, even if I'm not legally responsible, I will be emotionally crushed. I know, you'll be mentally responsible. <laughs> so yeah, how exactly. do we invest? And what do you... Okay, so this is actually a question foreigners ask all the time, and it's really, really simple. There are some ICBCs and some CCBs, Bank of China's, there are all these banks. There are some of them that are specific to investing. So you can go into any ICBC and say, which ICBC can I go to to invest in? And they will literally tell you the address of the one that you can do this in. And there are huge huge, like with sofas and water and tea, you sit down and you can look at all the investments they have and you can literally choose an investment. How long do you want to invest and how much you have? Some of them have minimums. So for example, if you want to invest in some semiconductor industries right now, a lot that's really popular right now, sometimes they'll say you need to invest at least and they'll give you a number. So if you're just walking and we walk yeah. out. <laughs> so if you only go, if you go in there with a thousand quiet that no one's going to take you seriously, but if you, <laughs> they'll take the tea. <laughs> hey, no tea for you. <laughs> but if you actually have some real money and you want to invest, it's really easy. I mean, I've literally done it. You walk into the bank and you say, I want a CD or you want a stock or you want gold or whatever. And you can invest it right there in the bank. And what I recommend is some people actually take the gold home. Don't do that. <laughs> oh. ICBC is like one of the top three largest.
largest banks on earth. It'll be safe in the bank. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Better than a shoebox under yeah. the bed. <laughs> I'll tell my yeah. mom. <laughs> she, okay, she doesn't have cash under her bed. Okay, don't go looking. Yeah. <laughs> But um, just to add a little bit more, so on the Shanghai Stock Exchange, a list companies on two boards. There's the you know have A shares and B shares, and the prices for A shares are denominated in Chinese RMB currency. Uh, and B shares prices are stated in U.S. dollars, and it currently I think has like what uh, 1,490 companies, including some of the largest companies in the world. So you have plenty of choices. But the more details, we probably don't have time for details. If anyone is interested, like go on these websites, and I'm sure there will be people. Actually, I did want to ask you a question before. I'll, let's take a pivot to another topic, and if we have time, we'll come back to this. Baby, why isn't China suffering from the same inflation that most of the rest of the world is? Do you know? You You want to answer this in two minutes? <laughs> Go. That, that, I'm uh, old. <laughs> well, uh, hmm. Uh, I, okay. First of all, I think the government has a better control of things. Its central bank is not running wild. <laughs> That's a good reason. And also, like China is still bouncing back, right, from the three years of pandemic, and it does have a pretty weak labor market right now, which means a lot of people who want to work have not found. Appropriate jobs, which means their ability to consume and buy things are relatively low. So these are not helping with increasing prices. Now I'm putting it in the wrong way. <laughs> well, when you have like a weak labor market, people don't have as much money to consume, and so the demand、uh, from consumers will be a little bit weaker. Now they're working on it.、Uh, for example, we did see a bounce back of consumer activity during the May holiday when people, a lot of people, went on traveling. So they are. Yeah, they're working on that because when people go out travel, they shop, right? They consume, they eat, and they go to hotels. You didn't?、Mm -hmm. Okay, I you did. did. Yeah, I don't.、Oh, I did. I did all those things. I went. I traveled.、Yeah. I shopped. I bought things I didn't need, and I went to restaurants yeah, and hotels. Yeah, that's how other people businesses make money. But the thing is, governors, that Chinese people are pretty risk adverse, right? When they see、um, maybe there will be future conflicts, possibilities, or you know, future difficulties in the economy, or even I guess conflicts between countries, the first thing people think. Of is oh I better save some money right、um, maybe even gold and then they will be consuming less and then prices will not be able to go up as much which is yeah you know that's actually one thing that always surprised me baby is if you go into a lot of these investment banks in China or even normal banks sometimes they have display cases with gold、mm. in them and they're in actively encouraging people to buy things like securities and CDs and gold and things and you know I've read the statistics and Chinese are really big savers they save、mm -hmm. like usually On average, about three to four times more than the average global citizen. So, if you want to invest, you can invest pretty easily by just going into a bank. We don't. You're right, baby. We don't have time for all the rest of this. Maybe we can come back in an adjacent related topic in the future. Thank you so much for your obviously more advanced economic understanding and sharing that with all of the folks at home. Well, thank you, Jason. I think it's an interesting topic. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. See you guys next time. Bye bye. Oh, oh, oh.